Good morning, church. And happy Sabbath. Our scripture reading is found in 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in, the, in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origins in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, tomorrow, if we were um, going to a Christian church of the Catholic or Episcopal or Lutheran or other uh, tradition, would be the third Sunday of Easter. Now, these terms are still a bit strange to us, but we're not in ordinary time in the Christian calendar. We're still in a very special time in the Christian calendar. And... Little by little, I'm just trying to share that with you because it is really what has happened in Christendom and Judaism before that. In Judaism, they had what were called high, what kind of days? Holy days, yes. Holy days and high holy days. And holy day is the root for what word we use today to connote that we're going on a cruise or something? Holiday, right. We've completely separated the notion of our, our vacations, our travels from uh, pilgrimage or from something holy or sacred. But high holy days in the Jewish tradition carried over in new forms uh, as the Christian calendar was formed and you have some very sacred times in the Christian calendar like Easter week and so forth. So we're between that time of Easter and Ascension, although last time I was with you I spoke on Ascension. And I just want to kind of compact it a little bit for us because we're not used to these uh, metered times and spaces. And I wanted to get you a feel for what comes because after Ascension would normally come what? Some of you know Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came in power on the believers in the upper room. And when, as he came to them in power in the upper room, they were, oh, I, they were able to speak in tongues and they were able, and by that, literally, they were able to speak the languages of the Jews of the diaspora, diaspora, those Jews that had been spread all over the world through the various invasions that had taken place, the various taking of prisoners and hauling them away as slaves to various parts of the world had taken place. And so these Jews now gathered were hearing in native tongue their language, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the church was added to in abundant ways 
we read all of this in Acts. Um, and it's, it's just a, a very uh, powerful and positive uh, story as we think about the Christian church and its beginnings and its story. So that would normally have its, its time and its season. I, I don't apologize, but I am compacting that just a little this year as we, as we think about what all that might mean in terms of our focus spiritually. And today I want to just draw you uh, to some themes that emerge prior to ascension, um, even prior to burial and resurrection or crucifixion and resurrection. And that is themes that really relate to God as, as other and God in, in greatness and glory. It is so vital that we're able to communicate in this culture an approachable God. It is so vital that we're able to communicate a Jesus who is truly our friend. And that's a biblical concept. You know what I'm talking about? Only one person nodding. I need to retire. Four years, and no, I know you've heard me talk about this. Of course, it's biblical. I no longer call you servants, but friends. That You know that passage. Yes. It is vital that we have a sense of the family of God, our connection to Christ as brother, our connection to Christ as friend, that we have a sense of potential intimacy, that we have that sense of approachability, come boldly before the throne of God. These things, and I don't want to take anything away from them because they speak a truth into our lives that enables us in many ways to function in the world the way we function as Christians. That is to say, to feel confident rather than constantly scared, to feel whole rather than constantly guilty, to feel forgiven rather than under a burden or a yoke. So these things help us move on and help us see God in a way that's approachable and relational. And we see Jesus in the same way as a figure a human being walking from place to place in his ministry and and growing up and doing what he did. So those pieces are very important biblically. But the pieces that we we have kind tend to want to lose track of in this culture are of God's otherness and of God's greatness and of God's power and unapproachability and consuming nature. I get tears in my eyes when we sing the line we sang today because it speaks to me so powerfully. Turn to 223. Of this great God. It would be the third system or line down, second verse. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight 
but downward bends his wondering eye at mysteries so great. Now, I think I've told you this before, but angels in human terms are incredible beings, frightening beings. The average response to the appearance of the angel is for one to throw himself face down on the ground. We read stories of single angels spreading their wings over cities and bringing death and destruction. They're fierce, wonderful creatures and holy and perfect. We're talking about the angels who with Michael cast out the dragon and his angels. We're talking about the angels of God. We're talking about the ones who did not rebel in heaven, did not reject the sovereignty of God. And these beings in perfection and in daily communion with one another and with God cannot, it says, fully bear the sight but downward cast their wondering eyes at mysteries so great. I just, that just gets to me. Because it speaks of something beyond anything I can imagine, anything I can bear, anything I can comprehend. We get glimpses of it. Jesus is coming the first time and he's announced by shepherds. I mean, two shepherds by angels. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And there is this blinding light in the heavens. And it says they were sore afraid in the King James. I think that means they needed to change their underwear. to put it in the modern vernacular. Terrified. Not sure of what it was that was before them, but they knew it was great, and they could hear the singing, and they knew it spoke of somebody otherworldly that had come to dwell among us. We get glimpses as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, this great prophet in Israel, confirming the ministry of Christ and his rabbinic status, these two voices, the witness of John crying in the wilderness and the witness of the Father who says, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. This is the one I love. And everybody is struck with a clear sense of awe. And the statement is repeated in transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, which I referred to last time I spoke. Moses and Elijah there with Jesus before Peter, James, and John on the mountain. That's such a great thing to see these three and the confirmation of Jesus' messianic status. Wow. two of the greatest prophets, those who were with Jesus the first fruits, one who would not see death and one who would see death and be resurrected. There they stand in glory 
and the disciples can do nothing but fall on their faces. Jesus is for the moment glorified. He's radiant. He shines. It's just an awesome thing to think about. And then we see the darkness come, the crucifixion, and the glory expresses itself darkly again. At three, as the curtain is torn without hands, as the earth shakes, as it becomes so dark as to consume one, as there are fissures and fractures in the earth, as the blood mingled with water drips down and it is finished. The earth convulses with the death of its creator for its own death cannot be far behind. And resurrection morning comes and there is a new glory, a different glory. One who was asleep is awakened. The earth gone dark is now filled with light. Radiant beings are at the tomb. And the good news begins to go forth. Glory. Power. Majesty. Jesus would spend time on earth, some 40 days. And last time we spoke, we spoke of the ascension. He speaks to the disciples and is taken up into the clouds where we're still looking for him to come again. But he went glorified. He went in a different status, in a different way, in a different place. And it's this great God of resurrection and life, this great God of creative power, this great God of otherness, this God who speaks, this God who forms, this God who makes, this God who is generativity in his very being. This God is the God we come to worship. We have our friend in Jesus. We have someone who bears life's burdens with us and walks beside us, one who calls us brother, one who is approachable. But we also have this God who is consuming fire and glory and wonder. And when we recapture that sense of this, God's glory, his power, his authority, I think it grounds us in a way in the order of things that we're not always used to being grounded. It's why we sing these hymns, crown him with many crowns, the one sacrificed now upon the throne. This is the throne in which there is no night, for the glory of God shines constantly. This is the throne in which there is no sanctuary, for the Lamb and His throne are the sanctuary. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Nothing can quench the universe's praise of God. Awake, my soul, we who are dead to sin, 
and sing of him who died in my place and hail him as my matchless king through all eternity. That's bigger than me. That's bigger than me. Crown him the Lord of years, the king of time. Creator of the rolling spheres, we don't use language like that anymore. Pity, it's wonderfully poetic. Creator of the rolling spheres, that is to say, creator of the planets, the suns, the moons, the universe. Ineffably sublime, unapproachably perfect. All hail, Redeemer, hail. For you died for me. Your praise, my, your praise shall never, never fail in all eternity. That's why we sing these kinds of songs. Our text, Romans, today gets us a little ways down the road on this. It's been read for you, but I want to highlight a couple of things. Jesus, uh, the Holy Scriptures say this regarding Jesus, regarding God's Son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who called, were called to belong to Jesus. So we have this one that we know two ways as the one made flesh the son of Mary the one who dwelt with us and worked among us and walked among us the one who died but we have this one who by the spirit is also the son of God declared so with power Jesus Christ and that power is demonstrated in the resurrection from the dead. This Easter we celebrated just a few weeks ago. And it is through this, the incarnation, and through this, the crucifixion, and through this, the resurrection, and through this, the ascension. It is through this that we have a God from whom we can receive grace and a message that calls us to an obedience that comes from faith and reaches even to those of us who are not of David's line. Those of us who are grafted in Gentiles from branches other than Judaism. And so this speaks to the great saving power of this God, the great redeeming power of this God. And our Peter text, Second Peter 1, carries that theme a little differently. Peter is saying something important. This is not a ruse. This isn't a cleverly invented story. This isn't a myth we created that you might be deceived. 
we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he revealed honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, capitalized, the majestic glory, the one who is glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And why was the mountain sacred? Is a mountain sacred? Louder, Peter. Because God was there. The mountain is sacred because God was there. His presence transforms the ordinary to the extraordinary. His presence takes a mountain and makes it a sacred place. His presence takes us as sinners and pulls us into redemptive grace. His presence is majesty and power and wonder and hope and grace. And so we have this amazing passage referencing the transfiguration. Verse 19, And we have the word of the prophets made even more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You have from the prophets the word until the word, big W, is written here. Now, I just said a sermon full and a mouthful right there. Do you know what I'm talking about? The prophets, by the Spirit, foretold of Christ. The prophets pointed by word, W-O-R-D, forward to what John will call the word, capital W-O-R-D. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. And as the word is made flesh and dwells among us, we begin to see. We begin to see. And the old covenant is a covenant of word, W-O-R-D, written in stone, or made between God and people like Abraham or Noah, but the new covenant is inscribed in the fleshy tables of our hearts of a God who will be our God and we will be his people. It's a covenant of his claim on us. I like this. We have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We will know and we will know internally. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so here we have the witness of Christ and his majesty. Turn to 230 in that hymnal. We'll be singing these words shortly.
If you are like me, and I suspect that some of you are at least partially so, you can sing things or say things or read things without fully contemplating the meaning of the words that you are singing, saying, or speaking. Particularly if you have done so for many years and for many times, because you see, God is for many of us an old habit, a custom. Yeah, that sells both of us very short, doesn't it? All glory, laud or praise, and honor to Christ, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. Yes, as he comes into the city a week before, Sunday before, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before he's going to be crucified, he's celebrated. You are the king of Israel, and you are David's royal son, who in the Lord's name comest, king and blessed one. Ah, the company of angels, back to that, are praising thee on high, and mortal men and all things created make reply. It's responsive, isn't it? The people of the Hebrews with palms before you went, our praise and prayer and anthems before thee we present. We're going to skip that part for now about betraying, about praising one Sunday and crucifying another Friday. We're going to go back to Christ, the one who is king. To thee, before thy passion, they sang their hymns of praise. To thee, now high exalted, our melodies we raise. You accepted their praises, so please accept the praises we bring and sing. Who in all good delightest, thou good and gracious king. Worth reflecting. Turn to Revelation 11. Revelation has so many wonderful pictures of the greatness of God. And the songs that are sung are just amazing. Starting in Revelation 4, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But in Revelation 11, starting around verse 15, we find this one. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And then we see just a break in the song and a description of these 24 elders who are seated on their thrones before God, falling on their faces and worshiping God and saying this, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, for and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And God's temple in heaven was open and within his temple 
was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Something happening in this picture. Something that references the glory, the power, the authority, the majesty. Something that gets at the incredible God who invites us to be his friend, but who is holy other. Revelation gives us a taste of what's to come, what is and what's to come. It finishes the story with the same sorts of pictures that we've gotten all along. That our Redeemer and Savior, the one who took on flesh, the one crucified, the one resurrected, the one who has breakfast and has fish with his disciples on the beach, the one who meets up with two who don't recognize him the whole journey on the road to Emmaus, the one who appears in the upper room, the one who allows Thomas the doubter and most of the Sir Thomases, Didymuses, to put his fingers in the nail holes, hand in the side. This Jesus who was resurrected, who is ascended, who is glorified, who does this work for us of redemption, who sits at the Father's right hand, who lives in glory. This is the God we worship. And it goes beyond ascension. And it goes beyond Pentecost. It goes into the day that Jesus comes again and the universe is restored to its rightful condition where order prevails where every man, woman, child, every creature, great and small, every being in the universe will join this chorus of praise. Alleluia, alleluia. Great and mighty is our God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. And so to you, good and gracious King, We have come as we are, broken down once again by the generosity and wonder of your love and grace and approachability, and mindful yet as we praise you of your glory, your majesty, and your wonderful power. Move in our lives, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.